It's Sunday, and if we got a story for you, welcome to Stories Unlimited with your host, Dave Casey. And I'm Taylor Mason coming to you from Beach Haven, New Jersey on Long Beach Island. Beach Haven being a very nice community. How nice our Salvation Army band has a string section. So happy Sunday. Dave, how are you? Hey, I'm, do- I'm doing good. And I'm telling you, I could use a little haven right now myself. We're, it's, there's nothing more hectic than the day before packing for vacation. Oh. My God, it is. Uh, I, I'm going to be so stressed. I'll be lucky if I don't stroke out before we get on the plane. Yeah, I, I hear you. Vacationing is uh, there's some stress involved, and even if you are one of those over planners, the stress still is there because you're over planning. So it's really you know until you're actually wherever you're going, the toughest part of the packing, getting ready to go, and then the packing and getting ready to go home which basically you never had enough time wherever you went on vacation. And now you're, you know, throwing stuff into suitcases and, oh yeah, I was going to bring this home and where are we going to put this? And oh my gosh, you know. And then of course there's the waiting to the last possible day to do your, you know, to do the laundry that has to go to the cleaners. And so now there's only one hour window between when the clothes will be ready and when the cleaner shuts down for the day. So we've got one hour, which seems fine until all of a sudden my wife's in real estate and she's got clients with needs and, oh, can you make it? Can you come to the city for this and that? And now it's like, I'm probably going to have to walk a a mile or so to the cleaners myself to pick up the clothes because we only have one car. So it's just, it's that kind of last second stuff that you just don't plan for. And and a nice laundry uh, metaphor leaves you hanging. Yeah, well said. And now this vacation, you're headed out to the East Coast, isn't that right? Without giving out where you're going away, you're headed to the East Coast, aren't you? Yeah, yeah we're heading East. Uh, we're going to visit some friends that used to live here that were, uh, we got uh, three couples all meeting in the Hamptons, and uh, we're going to have a blast. going to be a nice five-day respite. And after the dog days of summer, you kind of need it. It's like, you know, this has gotten to the point of the summer, especially remember when you were a kid, it, it was like just about now when you roll into August, at least for me, swim practice was over. Yeah, you haven't gone on your family vacation yet, because we always waited the final two weeks. And so like beginning of August, you're starting to get bored. You've played home run derby for 35 straight days. You've had swim practice for the entire summer since the week before school let out. You're done with all your swim meets, all that excitement of Saturday morning swimming and, you know, coming in third place for the 16th week in a row. All that excitement is ending. And now what are you going to do with yourself? And my brother and his friends came up with the perfect solution way back in the mid 60s they had this brainstorm let's play a marathon softball game let's take 3 days before we all this is going to be our last summer before we all have jobs let's take 3 days and do nothing but play softball and break a world record where they came up there was no world record for softball in Guinness they just came to the idea that nobody else has ever been crazy enough to play 72 hours of softball. I don't think so. so. That's a lot of softball. 
nobody's published it in anywhere that was so you know what we're gonna do we're gonna do this and the kids totally organized it they got a bunch of coleman lanterns they got a bunch of softballs and that's all it took bring your own tent bring your own coca-cola bring your own donuts hell we're gonna try what they tried to do was get the local apothecary which is what they called our uh, drugstore they tried to get that and it sounds so quaint today they tried to get that drugstore to um, sponsor speed pills so they wouldn't go to sleep at night so they go up to brassica's apothecary with they figure oh we know we know al rossick he's a great guy yeah we hang out with his kids you know he'll be he'll be fine with it well he laughed him off the face of the earth i'm not giving you guys any kind of pills forget about it so so much for adult sponsorship that was the only thing they asked for and they were turned down so they said hell with it we're going to go to the local schoolyard we're playing baseball for three straight days and there's nothing anybody's going to do about it and what they did was create a local sensation it was amazing they spread the word they'd only planned it for like a week and our kids came from all over Cherry Hill, not just Barkley Farms, our neighborhood, which that's where 90% came from. But they, first of all, they did the brilliant idea. They got Mimi Meeker to keep score. And she was, you remember Mad Magazine when they would oh, draw yeah. the perfect teenage girl? Yeah. You know, short white skirt, striped sweater. That was Mimi Meeker. I, I all eyes were on the scoreboard is all I can say. When she was keeping score, they they got that. So they and and they got kids from all over Cherry Hill coming on bikes, on cars. It was just unreal. And remember, these kids were 15, 16 years old that organized. It was an amazing event. One of that. It was truly the time in my life when I looked at these guys and said, "I want to be a damn teenager." That's where the that's where the action is. So we were inspired. The game went off three perfect days rolled out in a row. I went and I played in a lot of it. We were psyched. We said, you know what? We're going to do that. We're all around 15 and 16. Now we're going to do our own damn softball game. And of course, word had gotten out that their world record was shattered by some people that were playing a charity softball game. Ah, of course. So had organized a charity event and played 88 hours of softball. Oh, my gosh. Good for them. Way to go, We even found the news clipping, which in the interim, that's what spurred us on. And we said, you know what? We're playing 100 hours. That's (laughs) it. That's all there is to it. We're playing 100 hours of softball. We start spreading the word. Everybody's psyched. Everybody who's anybody is ready to jump on this pop-up rock and roll circus of our own. It's our generation's turn. So we have the one and only planning meeting. We get all our friends together. We send Dave Young, and he and he was wearing his uh, garage outfit because he was working in a garage. And so it had his name stitched on it. He looked like he could pass. So we collected all this money. And initially, the idea was the money was going to be for all the softballs we were going to need. And uh, we were thinking way ahead, a first aid kit. We were going to get a first aid kit and all the softballs we could buy. And then with the leftover money, we sent Dave Young on a beer run because he was the one guy that could pass for it. 
We also determined that Greg Wilsey and Jeff Crane would be the captains because they're the only ones who had a passion for organizing and they each had enough connections with guys that were old enough to make more beer runs in the future. They became the captains. My best bud at the time, Steve Betts, whose older brother and my older brother both played in this marathon, 72-hour marathon softball game. We kind of were the impetus behind it, so we got to be co-captains. So we're like, co-captains is good enough for us. There's, we don't have to do anything but just show up and play. Get our name on the board. We get this thing organized. The beer run is a huge success. We're drinking. We come up with the one decision that had to be made. What week are we going to do it? It has to be before everybody goes on vacation and also before all the August high school sports stuff starts in like uh, the, the last week of August guys you know we're all committed to some kind of sport so we're like no 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 before all that happens we're going to play so we determine it's going to be end of july way so who are we to check the weather well nobody's going to check the weather this is the week we're going to play so as the week approaches the local dj at night i mean dj in the morning and local broadcaster weatherman at night who was inspired by the Beatles pulled out his magnetic clouds that he called the weather meanies and he set them up on his uh, thing and said Monday looks like we're going to have thunderstorms rolling in you had the first thing we could do was start at seven on Monday morning and to get a hundred hours in you know we were going to have to start then so we're like oh hell this weather but I'm just like hey God the God I worship is not cruel he may have he did a flood way back in the day but He's been pretty good lately. He's not going to rain on our parade, man. We get there. We have everything set. We've got one Swedish gym set up with the with the chalkboard hanging from it for our scoreboard. We didn't have Mimi Meeker. She'd gone on to college, and, you know, that was it for our, our good-looking scorekeeper was a chalkboard. And then we had another dugout that was the entrance to the school and the west wing of the school, we were set. Of course, there's no fence, there's no backdrop. This is a hard pan of uh, dirt and scrabble and crabgrass. That's what this ball field is. But, but it's always been the baseball field for Barkley School. So it's good enough for who it's for. We're set off, it's, all, it's steel gray skies. There is not a lick of sunshine. It's not gonna rain, it just isn't, it just can't. It, there's no way. So we start playing. We're about an hour into the game when the first raindrop falls, then another. And it's just steady. It's getting darker. The rain's getting harder. It's starting to pelt rain. We are there in the middle of July, shivering from the cold. Our clothes are soaked. We're not even six hours into this game. And I'm telling you, 172 hours of softball is a hell of a lot of softball. Oh, if, yeah. you've ever, if you've ever been out there shagging flies at three in the morning, you know it's a long-ass stretch from midnight I mean, to listen, seven. Just a regular game of softball or in the outfield, you know, pitch, foul ball, pitch, foul ball. If somebody yeah. falls down, help them up. Pitcher takes a walk around the mound. Pitch foul ball. Was this game with ever end? Pitch slow roller to short. Picked up, throw to first. Okay, one out. <laughs> <laughs> but when the sun's shining 
And when kids from all over the neighborhood come and everybody wants to get in and play, it's a high, it's great. And, and you're drinking, and you know, it, we're drinking a few beers with no adult supervision. Hey, who's the wiser? It's all good. This was not good. This was just pure rain. There's nobody watching us. There's no, there's no reward at all. It's just plugging through. And you're then Charlie kids Brown. Are all, you're Charlie Brown. Yes. yes. You know. What's the problem? A little rain isn't going to hurt anything. Kids are leaving, and we have no <laughs> cell phones to call anybody. You know, this isn't the only the only cell phone in existence is a Dick Tracy cartoon in this day and age. We're like, oh my god! If I, we just hope somebody comes for reinforcements, because one of the keys to these marathon games, we didn't play. One player didn't play all seventy two hours. You rotate right. people in, and and then when the score gets lopsided, you you rotate the better players onto the other team so you keep it close and then one of the traditions started by the earliest one the 72 hour game was you want that last two hours to be competitive you want it yeah. to be almost tie and 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 winner takes all so that's what we're aiming for 100 hours down the road well it, it's the 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 field has become a pig slop there's only one play i remember from the entire day and that is a pop-up hit just beyond me. I'm at first base. I turn and Ron Watkins runs under the ball. Ron Watkins, great swimmer, eh, decent ball player. He runs under the ball, waves off everybody like a pro, like he's seen, you know, Johnny Callison do in right field all his life. Looks up. He, got, he has the ball in his, he lifts his glove. All of the, the rain, the pelting rain burns his eyeballs and he closes his eyes and the softball literally hits him right in the goddamn forehead, leaves oh. the mark of the beast on him. And to this day, I can't remember what hit the mud first, his butt or the ball, but uh -huh. either way, it wasn't pretty, and it sure as hell wasn't a party. It was just another day in the life of a rain-soaked baseball game. Everybody's clothes are sopping wet, but do we give up? Hell no. no. Our names are attached to this thing, but we make it through. The rain lets up around dinner time, and actually some kids start returning with friends with some dry clothes. Whoa, maybe there's hope. Maybe there's hope. Did our parents come with hot meals? No, but maybe there's hope and we can get through this thing. And there was beer. So there was that. So we start into the night and it's about midnight. And even with my name attached to it, I'm soaking, I'm shivering, I'm sick as a dog. I'm like, my God, this, I say, as long as I'm pretty sure this game is going to continue if I leave. So I trudge to one of the tents that's been set up but my sleeping bag is totally soaked. I remember thinking to myself, if these guys, if guys about five years older than me make it through the monsoons of Vietnam, I can make it a hundred hours of baseball. Come on, how tough can it be? So I wring out my, my uh, sleeping bag and we're sleeping. And I, I, it was like a lullaby here in the softball, hit the bat and the splash yeah, into the mud. Exactly. And I hear like, that. I, we can make this, we can make this work. And I, I doze to sleep just from pure exhaustion. I wake up to the, the biggest nightmare of my life. 
somebody had come into the tent with deep woods off and sprayed the entire oh. interior of the tent oh. as about six of us are all tangled oh. up in sleeping bags and we're crawling out of there and we realize we can barely breathe our lungs are bleeding it's like what the Craig Orr was the was the villain and he's like we got to get guys onto the field we're losing it and I'm like okay I look up and there's only like four guys playing and I can see the purpose of the deep woods off all of a sudden but it didn't make it feel any better so I'm gagging and coughing and the rest of the people are doing the same and we drag some pants on and we get onto the field and I can still remember Kenny Phipps sitting at home plate swinging the bat going we're gonna make it we're gonna make it we're playing softball if he can do it i can do it we straggle out it's getting to be about six in the morning we're playing and then steve betts is at the plate i'll never forget this there's and steve betts is a good damn ball player and he starts he's a right he starts lacing line drive down the left field line trying his hardest to hit kids that are just straggling around and not getting in the game and he's yelling at them get in the game quit screwing around and they're like oh shut up <laughs> and they're like in the, and they've crawled back into a tent that wasn't sprayed with deep woods off so Betts is late and more line drives down there to try to hit kids and you know it's all fun and games until Ron Wilsey, Greg's little brother, emerges from a tent and one of Bess's line drives hits him right in the head. And he goes down like a salted sea slug, a banana slug. And we're like, holy shit, Bess, what did you do? All of a sudden, Bess is the bad guy. <laughs> a second later, you know, a second earlier, we thought he was awesome. And that's when Greg Wilsey, who was one of the captains, looked up and said, that's it ball game i'm calling this game on account of rain we are not the men our older brothers were we are we are complete losers and i remember this the, the infield is nothing but just squelching mud you know that sound it makes when you step in it we walked out to the middle of the field with a baseball bat and steve betts writes 24 in a big Thing. I write flop underneath it and then we write an exclamation point and we put the old wet softball which is now less than a, I mean it's just a big old sponge that is our exclamation point and we leave the field with 24 hour flop so we um you and I to follow up on your softball story which what a noble effort and very cool that you know your brother and his friends played for 72 hours that is a really that's and a, succeeded yeah and you know staying up all night and playing i think but you and i played at uh, in evanston illinois we, we played i don't even know how how many weeks we played we we're in some kind of northwestern university softball league do you remember that oh god yeah yeah i remember yeah, chris charlton my god that guy could hit the ball a country mile yeah he hit one <laughs> So this guy hits the ball. He's very quiet. Uh, you know, can I be on the team? <laughs> yeah, whatever. It was a co-ed team, and we weren't very good. But this guy, he's kind of tall, and he hit the ball, honest to goodness, like tape measure home run style. And the kind With of the thing, softball. 
Right. With the mushy softball, it hit his bat, and it was almost as if the bat and was there was some kind of magic power in the ball. It was as if there was a Google ball. Like if you had if you were playing a video game and yes. the ball was a Googleized ball, because it hit his bat and then it exploded off of his bat and on it, it was it was perfect on angle wise. It like jettisoned out over second base, you know, in the middle of the diamond, no arc, just a straight line until yes. the force of gravity realized that it can't get to ten thousand feet. 2,500 feet, it's as high as it'll go. It hit a couple of birds on the way. Didn't alter the flight pattern of the ball, however. And then just nosedive down. It had to be at least a 300-foot shot. I had never seen a softball tag like that. But here was the scary thing. He did that once a game. He, he, He was consistent. He'd hit it like that. You know, Ted Williams said, when I'm really hitting and I really when I really step in and get a good hit on the baseball, I can actually smell the leather. Chris Charlton, I think you could smell the freaking softball leather when he would when he would lace one of those drives. It that, that was it was on otherworldly. And he, I, I'm pretty sure he was our cleanup hitter. We didn't, we just didn't have. Now I remember I played shortstop, and this was my mentality at shortstop. Everybody is so slow. And I was just watching the first game we played. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody's in college. They haven't played sports for a while. So they were so slow. So there would be a ground ball hit to me. And I would just take my time, wait until the ball got to me, pick it up, and then just, I mean, you were at first base, if I remember. And I would just shotgun. I would just throw, throw as hard as I could across the field because everybody was so slow. A lot of times, by the time I got the ball, they were almost at first base. But you could still throw them out. It wasn't. It wasn't a stretch to throw out Northwestern University students playing softball. You know, in the middle of the summer, when it let's face it, with softball, there's not. There's some people who are into it, and then there's the other ninety percent of the people who are just kind of there. You know, yeah. for the fun of it. You know, they're they're, they're they've got a. You're, if you're at third base, for example, you have a beer like right behind the base, and yes. you're more oh, concerned. For sure. You're much more concerned. With that the beer's going to get knocked over. Exactly. So if you make a play backhanded at third base, it's not so much that you're a great player. It's all about the fact that there was a ball on two hops headed for your beer, and there's no way you're going to let that, let that happen. So you glove the ball backhanded, and oh. then if you have you know a strong enough arm, you can three-hop it over to first. That's how Brooks Robinson trained, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. For the beer beer protect beer protection you know summer summer softball in in chicago where you live now is a huge business and they play there's 16 inch yes softball which is kind of a hell of a lot bigger than the 12 inch you're normally playing with right that 16 inch makes a big difference it's a it's like a beach ball I, i could barely club that thing out of the infield in fact that was my best skill was i'd always almost always get on base because i'd hit it just beyond the infield so I was a singles, I was a strictly singles hitter, which, you know, that I wouldn't say that that's, uh, I didn't break my arm, pat myself on the back, but at least I did make it to base. <laughs> yeah, you're on base, you're on base, and then we had Charlton. So, you know, you got you got at least a 50-50 shot that he's going to hit the ball into Wisconsin. Well, those balls too, Dave, those 16 inches after about the third inning, because they're, they're expensive. 
So yeah. in, the, in the leagues in Chicago, by the third inning, they've gone through three balls, which is all you have. So by the third inning, the ball's been pounded a few times. So not only is it a 16-inch, it's like a puff ball. So you yes. have really good, like ex-pro baseball players or semi-pro baseball players. And they've got, you know, they put all their weight in their back foot. The, they swing perfectly, you know, you know, turn their hips through the swing. You know, they've locked their wrists. They do everything right. Poof, they hit the ball. But it's a mush ball. So yes. you know, it goes about eight feet in the air. <laughs> it's and nobody it's a very difficult league 16 inch softball now well, you no play with your game. bare hands you right. play with your bare hands because the, the ball is such a mush ball it, it would get lost in the glove i mean it would just you couldn't dig it out of your glove after the fourth inning so yeah you just play with your bare hands which is you know it's a little tough if you're playing first base in the first inning and that shortstop you know right. fires the ball to you oh it might sting for a little while but after that first inning i mean it's nothing and you can play with your bare hands without giving it a second thought yeah exactly that and it's just so popular and the weirdest thing about it is you don't find it. Like here in New Jersey, what's 16-inch softball? Oh, it's the game we play in Chicago. Never heard of it. Sounds stupid. Why would anybody play with the ball that big? Well, I don't know. I guess that's because here's why. I'll tell you uh, why. And this, yeah. I've explained this to everybody. Because a lot of times in Chicago, you show up for the summer league, especially for the summer theater league, which is <laughs> the summer theater league in Chicago softball is a thing of beauty. It's worth going because you have actors, most of whom their their only relationship to softball or baseball is um, they sang the song, You Gotta Have Heart in Damn Yankees, the Broadway show. Now- In high school. Right. That same guy is now playing second base, which, what does it mean for him to play second base? I'm not lying when I say this. In the Chicago and probably New York and LA Actors League, they stand on the base. You know, you go over and you'll say to the guy, Ian, why are you standing on second base? Why? Because I'm the second baseman. Yes, I know. But that doesn't mean you stand on second base. Yeah. You move over, you move over here. What do I do? <laughs> yeah. Your theater league, softball leagues are worth watching once just to just oh. for the joy, the sheer joy of watching baseball played by people who don't really understand. The level of play is roughly on a par with when your kids first take up the game and are playing that t-ball and they hit the ball and they start running towards third base no 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 right. you run this direction but bringing up t-ball the, the, the ball is put on a tee and then the kid comes up swings hits the ball off the tee i would say 75 percent of the time the bat really doesn't hit the ball it hits part of the tee and yes. the ball choice but goes somewhere and about 75% of the time, it goes into fair territory and somebody, a pitcher or one of the many infielders, because a lot of times in T-ball where, you know, you'll have a pitcher and maybe in regular baseball, you'd have seven players playing the field. In T-ball, you've got seven players playing the infield because the chances of a T-ball hit getting past the infield are, are very are slim to none. But the beauty of T-ball is you may... You may hit the tee and the ball, you know, dribbles seven yards, but every player on defense is involved because none have any <laughs> skill. And on every hit, at least seven to eight players have touched the ball, some of which have touched it three times. 
while the kid is being instructed how to run all four bases in the right direction and when it's okay to run and when it's not okay to run. But the real secret is just run, baby, because you're going to score. Because those seven fielders who are all touching the ball, none of them know what they're doing with it, and they're all throwing it in a random direction. The one place... The one place where none of the other six players are standing, that's where the kid throws it. So it's just an amazing game. It's the opposite of kill the man with the ball. Nobody ever is hit on purpose. It's, it's just this random collection of athletic prowess that is it's just beautiful amazing. to watch. Okay, so I coached my kids in, in T-Ball, and my, for my youngest, we're playing a team, and some people where we lived, in a very, you know, high end. Our, my child is going to play pro baseball someday. Oh yeah, yeah. that's the mentality of. So we're playing this team, and the coach is a, a very nice woman who I knew. But anytime her team got runners into scoring position in t-ball, and especially near the end of the game, like in the last well, there's so it's near the end of the game, maybe the fifth inning, close game, and they get her team gets two runners on, and she would bring out, and I loved saying this she would bring out the golden tea. She had painted the tea oh. for the tea ball, the color gold for two, for two reasons. One, to motivate her team and two, to depress, <laughs> to depress the other team. This to me, Dave, this was the most wonderful thing I'd ever seen in my life. So the first time that she brought out the golden tea was in the third inning and we were winning a game by a couple of runs who really keeps scoring a t-ball game and why but for yeah. whatever reason we're winning five to three they've got two runners on and here she comes with the golden tea i'm in the dugout you know a little dugout 20 feet away samantha what's that it's the golden tea she slams it down on home plate you know it, and her kids are going bonkers the golden they're cheering the golden tea. <laughs> now my team dave we were the a's there was an A name for the Oakland A's, had green, gold A, but we had changed our name to Aliens because the only way I could get my kids to be involved at all with the game was to give them something. So they were, you know, they're six years old. We're aliens. Are we, are we from another planet? You are today, buddy. All right. You know, so now the golden tea is up. We give up like five runs. Now we're down nine, five, and we somehow come back and take the lead and we're winning until the end, the last inning of the game. Again, the so golden the tea. Gets, <laughs> here she comes with the golden tea. Angels were heard on high. <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories ever. She comes out with the golden tea, and I started crying. And I, you know, I started sobbing at the, you know, and I, everybody come in. Everybody, there's, we have no chance. We can't <laughs> win. <laughs> we can't win against the golden tea. <laughs> reverse my, psychology my kids come in i'm sobbing and they're patting my back it'll be okay mr mason no it won't can't you see see what there's a golden that's a golden tea there's no way we can do it mike if the ball is hit to you what are you going to do with it i'm going to throw it exactly who are you going to throw it to chris yes chris you're going to be on first base if anybody gets the ball, they're going to throw it to Chris. All right. That's the only way we can do it. <laughs> the only way we can beat the golden tee. I honestly don't even remember what happened. I do remember this during that la the golden tee moments of the inning. Every time the other team would do something well, I would sob, flop, flop on the ground, beat my hand. 
<laughs> and I'll be screaming, why, Lord? Why? Why, <laughs> why can't we own the living? Oh, God, the aliens were confused. Oh, it was great. You know, and when I, that whole Little League thing, we had this one kid who was just this huge kid. When I was coaching Little League, I made everybody play every position. So Charlie, I'm not going to say his last name, who ended up being an offensive lineman at Princeton University, a oh. brilliant kid, by the way, straight age, didn't have a hit all year. So now I'm going to, his parents are there and they're sobbing, you know, they're just bereft. We've worked with Charlie over time. He cannot, he's just kind of a little uncoordinated. He's big, bulky, you know. He's, now, this is, is this fourth, beyond T-ball? Is this actual Yeah, this pitch? is beyond T-ball. This is a little league now. This is fourth okay. grade. Okay, yeah. this is, the, now, the, now this, things are serious. Oh, yeah. Now they, I mean, you're starting to weed out the pros from the, <laughs> you know, the AAA town. Exactly, exactly, exactly. There's a huge difference, you know. So, Charlie, we're going to get Charlie a hit. So, last game. You know, there, there's not going to be any playoffs. It's the last game, and Charlie hasn't got a hit all year. So I have been pitching to Charlie for probably, I don't know, I'll bet I've thrown 200 pitches to Charlie. The last 50 of these pitches in practice that I've thrown has not been me trying to throw the ball over the plate. It's me telling Charlie, Charlie, swing now, and then I try to hit the bat with the ball. Okay, do you understand what I'm saying? I try to throw the ball as he's swinging <laughs> before I start throwing. Charlie, swing now. He starts swinging. I try to time it so that the lob ball, and about 30% of the time, the ball hits the bat, and he hits the ball. And fair, okay, so now it's the last chance. So I time out. I go to the umpire, who's like 15 years old. You know, it's a little league umpire. I'm going to pitch to Charlie. What? I'm going to pitch to Charlie. Is that in the rules? It is now. I go out, you know, my pitcher is my kid. I'm going to pitch to Charlie. Really? Yes. All right. So he goes, he goes over my, my kid on the other, who's on the other team, by the way, goes over and plays some other position. Now I'm pitching to Charlie Langerhans. I throw the ball, swing and a miss. And, you know, his parents are there. They're sitting it. They're, they're recording it. You know, they've got like a, one of those gold yeah. second pitch swing and a miss. This is it. I'm sweating. And my kid says to me, Dad, you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> He's rooting for me against his own team. So Charlie, swing now. I lob it. Char barely grazes. He barely grazes the ball, like hits the top of the bat. Yes. I turn it just a little too high, but and it goes foul backwards. But everybody, oh, both the teams, oohs, the ahs. people are cheering. People are <laughs> people have come out of the mind. concession stand and, and <laughs> snow cones are on hold. They're coming to watch this this final pitch. Oh my! He fouled it off. You would have thought that he had hit the ball 500 feet. He he fouls it straight back to the screen. Everybody's screaming. You know, Charlie. And he, you can tell the poor kid is just so nervous. So what, yes. what do you do now? I have to work it out. So, you know, I move in a couple of inches, you know, cause I'm thinking it's almost, there's no way he can miss if he starts swinging now. So sure enough, Dave, Charlie swing. Now he starts the swing. I throw the pitch. It's perfect. It hits. I mean, it's the perfect throw hitting exactly where he swings the bat. He swings the bat. He hits it full on right at me. He hits <laughs> line drive <laughs> so i put up my hands i didn't think i had a glove on all i wanted was charlie to hit the ball so i put both my hands up you know it hits yeah. my hand 
balls to the dirt. And my, my kid says, dad, just leave the ball on the ground. So I leave the ball. Charlie, 45 seconds later, crosses first base. (laughs) You know, people are, you know, people are stopping in their cars. Birds drop dead from the sky. It was a moment. So from T-ball to that, as a coach was probably the highs of my summer coaching baseball career. Oh, I'll tell you, we little league baseball, there's nothing like it. My little league program patched Oral Hershiser. Oh my I God. Mean, that's the kind of talent that can come out once in a generation because my generation, we didn't have that kind of talent. We did have Lenny Butler, who was an awesome ball player. Uh, was on the White Sox organization for a while, but uh, didn't quite make Earl Hershiser type waves. But he was on the team I was pitching against, McNaughton's Nursery. They were the top team in the league. I think I've heard of Actually, I think I've heard the legend of McNaughton's Nursery. They were such a good team. They they were so good. They had the Devin Tier brothers. They had Keenan Rosen. They had Lenny Butler. They had Mark Jaffe. There was no, there was no respite in their lineup. It was Murderers Row. Yeah, it was the 1925 Yankees. I I definitely remember this. It's still written in in South Jersey lore. If you you go jogging through South Jersey sometime, you'll see McNaughton's baseball, you know, written down. the Butler name is legendary because Lenny wasn't the only great athlete to come out of that family. But here we were facing them off. It's like, I think it might've been 4th of July, but it was close to that. It was damn hot out. I always pitched better in the heat and I was a mediocre pitcher. I, I did have a winning record on the worst team in the league, but the team I had behind me had no Lenny Butlers. We had no Oral Hershizers. We had just, a, a complete set of uh, bad news bears. Yeah, you were just and a normal little league team. You were a normal little league team, and you're playing Lenny Butler and the McNaughton Nursery Nine. Who, we uh, came know, in 20th in a league of five teams <laughs> or six teams. But here we were. This is how bad my team was. I was pitching pretty well. And like I said, I had a winning record on a terrible team, so I wasn't a bad pitcher. But McNaughton's Nursery, I fully expect yeah. to get shelled and you know, and, and just leave, you know, just at least I got a snow cone out of the whole thing, you know, yeah. at the end of the game, or maybe a Zagnut bar and then a pat on the head from my dad. I go out there and I'm mowing them down. I am pitching really, really well. I'm like, I had a no hitter going for like three innings and the games are six innings long. Oh yeah. That's, that's pretty impressive. We are, everything comes back to the mean. They start hitting the ball. My infielders and outfielders can't do anything with it. It is like, it's just like a comedy of errors. Long story short, I lose the game six to four. Six to four. You know how many hits I gave up? One. (laughs) One. I pitched a one hitter over six innings and lost six to four. The one play that that I remember, and ironically, it took place in right field, just like Ron Watkins drop in the uh, 24-hour flop. There is a, there's two outs. There's two runners on. There's a high fly to right field. Unfortunately, Manning right field is Paul Lenher, who is oh, a, no, not he's, he's our normal catcher. So he's playing out of position. He has no business being in right field. 
and I turn and I watch Lenher and I can tell by his footwork, this isn't going to end well. His footwork was kind of like, I don't know, it was like Deputy Dog in a cartoon episode, like trying to catch the baby that's falling from the tree. It, it, it is, I can tell he just doesn't have a chance. Well, of course, the ball drops somewhere in the middle of where he's been running around in circles. <laughs> by the time he gets it into the infield, even the batter is like rounding third base. And I'm just watching. That was where my lead evaporated. I realized that I was not going to leave the mound a winner that day. I still think it's. I still think it's pretty impressive that Oral Hershiser came out of the. Um, when I was, I, pl- I played against a couple of guys in high school. I played against a guy named Guy Hoffman who played for the White Sox. And not to date us, Dave, but when I played what's called American Legion baseball, which is somewhere between, we had there was a guy on another team named Bill Lame Beer, who is younger than I am, but they had moved him up because he was, Dave, when I was, I think I was 13 or 14, so he was 12 or 13 at this time. He was already probably 6'2". He, he ended up playing uh, pro basketball with the Detroit Pistons, won championships, all that. Yes. So and of course, everybody, I can remember my brother when I was batting against him one time, yelling, lame brain. You know, my, my brother <laughs> And the, the kid, Billy Lambier, looks right at my, my brother, like this look, stone look of just, you are mean nothing to me. I'm going to get this guy out. And he threw, Dave, he threw like the best curveball I'd never seen. I didn't even know oh. what it was. Like it's coming right at my head. So oh, I, like he needed a curveball in that league. My God. Right. The kids were probably shaking right with head. their knees. It's coming right at your head. And then, you, oh. you know, so you naturally fall down backwards and then the ball yes. goes across the plate, strike. Okay, so you get back <laughs> in the batter's box. Now you're ready for that curveball. And he throws this, like, this BB, this tiny little white pill at, Ooh. you know, a thousand miles an hour. You don't even, you know, did, did, did the ball just go? It's so unfair. It's already 0-2. I'm down 0-2. My coach, Mr. Evans, Taylor, watch out for the curveball. Yeah, no kidding, Mr. Evans. So... <laughs> <laughs> So I get back in the batter's box. Here comes the ball right at my head. But all I could think about was that ball that had just gone past me at a thousand miles an hour. Here comes this white sphere toward my head. So I felt backward again. And of course it breaks, you know, like 18 inches across the plate. Strike three, you're out. I drag my <laughs> bat back to the dugout. Unbelievable. My brother stopped yelling lame brain at Billy <laughs> Lane Beer. That, that kid was, he was, uh, so he, he was a really good, now, I didn't go to school with him because he went to the Catholic school in town. Yeah. So I didn't, I only heard about him. But he's one of those kids, you, you know, you would hear about, who are you playing this oh, week? Yeah. We're playing Billy Lambeer. Oh, you're never going to get a hit. <laughs> he's the greatest pitcher that ever lived. We had a kid like that a few years ahead of me, Wayne Hunsinger, who just, they still probably whisper his name on Langley Field in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey. That dude was like Lambeer. He was so much bigger than every other kid. And had a, you know, all you, when you're that big, all you need is an ounce of talent. He had about three pints of talent because that dude, he, they still talk about a shot he hit over the center field scoreboard that landed at the foot of a fence that wasn't even the home run fence. It was like a fence, you know, that was surrounding an industrial park beyond the, I mean, it, they still talk about that home run there. And yeah, that's how Lambeer must have been. My God, he had a lot of he had a lot of athletic talent. Plus, he was big. Yeah, it was just you know so and just and just an amazing uh, 
just you know he was he oh, you could already tell just the way he walked you know the way he carried himself and this is yeah. 12 or 13 they moved him up a year he was so good Whoa. And like, yeah and, you know he went to catholic school so the catholic school and the and the you know the Protestant schools like the public schools they never you never met you never met those guys so they, there was already kind of an aura of sure. all the kids that went to um the catholic schools they were always always but and they always did have good teams at least where i was from in chicago area a lot of times the catholic schools high schools are they're very very good athletic programs and it oh, yeah. i think it starts when you're a kid the intimidation factor is really really high you're playing Billy Lambero. Good luck, man. You're never going to get a hit off him. The Catholic schools were recruiting athletes. They were like the Chinese government. They would pick out, you know, <laughs> peewees and say, oh, no, he's going to be something special. And they would like bring them, you know, they would bring them under their wing. And even if they weren't Catholic, now Lambert probably was, but there were kids that weren't even Catholic that would just be, you know, honed through the Catholic school system so that by the time they got to Bishop Eustis, forget about it. That high school, you couldn't touch them in basketball or <laughs> football or basketball because they had cherry picked all the talent since they were peewees. I, I know what you mean. And, and you know, in when my kids were little in Morristown, the, the little league teams were doing that in the summer. They were already starting to pick guys. You'd have these super teams. You'd have teams of kids who could really throw, really field. So you'd have to play. And of course, the teams that I coached, I, you know, my right fielder played right field in the first inning, first base in the second innings, second base in the third inning, shortstop in the, you know, so everybody got a chance to play every position. Some parents were, you know, these kids are never going to learn how to win. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not, but, you know, everybody's going to get the pitch. You're not going to make, you know, you're not going to make Davey pitch. I, you know, this little pip squeak of a kid. Yeah, he's pitching. He's going to pitch at least a one batter. Get out there, Davey. I can't, I don't think I can reach home plate, Davey. You're pitching. You know, <laughs> and sometimes, you know, sometimes magic would happen. You'd get this kid, the kid would go to the mound and be nervous and you could tell really scared. But after a couple of pitches, you know, some of the kids were like, oh, wait, I can do it. I can make it to the plate. Yeah. Throw the ball. Oh my gosh, I struck somebody out. You know, it's, those are big. Those are, I, I remember those, those moments and the golden tee and getting Charlie a hit. Those are the moments I remember most of those summers doing a uh, little t-ball but what happened more times than not were people like my son would be like hell no i'm not playing baseball i bored to death give me a hockey stick and let me hit somebody and that's yeah. why nobody plays baseball anymore these slow moving early games you know it's the opposite of Catholic. it siphons off all the talent they're like oh there must be a sport i can do that will keep me awake at the same time i'm still a baseball fanatic for whatever reason in this this summer and I just, I just researched this. Baseball has made a huge comeback, I think partly because of the 15-second clock. Because oh, yeah. as we that's, just talked about your son, the game is so insanely. No wonder your kid didn't. In hockey, you're on the move all the time. These baseball, yeah. add an extra 45 minutes per inning as the pitcher walks around the mound, picks up the rosin bag, wipes his brow, looks out to center field, you know, makes a motion toward the first baseman, has a meeting with the third. Oh, my gosh. Now there's a clock. <laughs> Plus, Dave, not to go off on a tangent here, but Ellie De La Cruz, Ellie oh. De La Cruz. If you're not familiar, you have to YouTube it. In a 40 second span, he singled, stole second, stole third and stole home. stole home. I immediately became a fan, but then I really became a fan and I am Ellie De La Cruz, even though I'm not 6'8", I'm not from, I think he's from Venezuela or the Dominican, I don't care. I love this guy, he's, like, he's everything I'm not. 
Yes. He had put a little a little knob on the end of his bat so he could hold it and just kind of twirl it for fun. A manager, I think it was from the Brewers, decided this was illegal. So during the game, they made him remo- remove the little knob. The umpires had a meeting. They called New York. Ellie steps back into the batter's box with his bat without the little knob on the end. It had been athletic taped on there. First pitch, ball. Second pitch, 455 feet later, it landed oh. in some it landed in some state. I'm pretty sure it within the contiguous USA. It smacked into a ball Chris Charlton had hit in 1983. <laughs> Somewhere in the in the ionosphere. And Dave, he rounds the bases and then twirls his bat without the knob on it. Oh, oh. He's, he's the greatest thing since Shoshiatani. He may, I mean, he he may have a bigger skill set than Willie Mays. This guy, no kidding. This guy can do it all. Oh, but I'm, I'm enamored with him. I can't get enough of Ellie De La Cruz. I have, I have so much respect. I just when I saw him hit that 455 footer after the the manager made such a big deal yes. out on his bat, I was scream. I was in a hotel somewhere, screaming, jumping up and down on the bed. Yes, yes. Well, that'll end another episode. Thanks so much. I'm telling you what, the dog days of summer, we just brighten them a little in my mind, man. I just love talking baseball. Well, we've come to another storybook ending. Thanks for stopping by the Stories Unlimited podcast. That's Stories UNLTD. Hey, we'd appreciate you following us on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. And you can always email us at storiesunltd at gmail.com.